Hey guys, this is our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you found us. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about following Jesus, loving God, and serving one another. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com or check out the Clemson Foothills Church YouTube channel. We love learning what God says to us in His Word, and we hope this podcast helps you to do that as well. With all that said, let's dive into the episode for this week. Welcome to the Clemson Foothills Church again. It's good to be together. I'm glad to be here. My name is Patrick. Uh, We've been doing a series on Renew in 2021, and uh, I wanted to talk some about renewing our purpose, uh, which may sound vague, but I'm going to get into what that means um, as we go along. I want to give a few disclaimers before I start. This is going to be interactive, so there's going to be some open questions I'm going to ask. They're not going to be rhetorical. Um, I'm also going to look at some scriptures that may be familiar to you, and I'm going to ask that we try and look at them in a new way. Um, So if it seems kind of elementary or just not novel ideas, Uh, I'm going to ask you to just stay with me. That's not the point. We're going to try and look at familiar scriptures in a new way. Um, So I ask you to just be patient. Don't be offended. I know this probably isn't new to most of you. Um, Also, someone has told me that I am long-winded, and it's me. So I'm going to try and not go for hundreds and hundreds of minutes. So I will be auctioning down my time. I can be more precise the more y'all hold up. That was a bad joke. All right, so I'm going to try and be as concise as possible, try and be spirit-filled, spirit-led. All right, so here we go, renewing purpose. Uh, I want to start... The interaction by asking, what is the gospel? Does anyone have any thoughts they want to share? It can be as formal or as informal an answer as you want to give. No pressure, but don't get it wrong. Yeah. The good news. The good news. Okay. Can you give me an example? Uh, well, it's, uh, we're kind of lost here uh, in our sin. Okay, uh, okay. You probably noticed the world's kind of a crazy place, and um, we need God, and uh, he sent his son to um, take the penalty of sin for us. Mm-hmm. It's good news because we're res- rescued uh, from our sin. Awesome. Yeah. That was good. You're going to fit right in here. Um, anyone else? Any thoughts? Shout it out. Raise your hand. What What is the good news? Uh, the good news is, uh, I think, our story and God's story, that from the very beginning, God loved us. And, you know, we were his creation and his prize. And 
sin came into the world. And mm-hmm. Plans had to change some, but um, but God had sent Jesus, and um, and through Jesus, he, he called us and gave us purpose, and um, Matthew 4 comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Mm-hmm. There's a new king in town, and to, you know, I'll make you fishers of men. Mm-hmm. So there's purpose and there's lordship and all of that good stuff and and Jesus is reclaiming his inheritance. God's yeah. Inheritance That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, so some of the some of the first things that came to my mind when I asked myself uh what what is the gospel? What is the good news? Uh what's the point of all this? Just just trying to simplify, you know, something that I could explain to, you know, a 4-year-old. It's God is real. He is good. He loves you. He likes you a lot. (laughs) He's involved. He's pursuing you. He knows what's going on and what you need, what you want, how you feel. He numbers the, the hairs on your head. He knows when the smallest animal gives birth or dies. He knows the weather. He knows everything everywhere. Um, the good news is that you have meaning, you have an identity, you have purpose. You were put here for a reason, a specific time in a specific place, in a specific way with good works to do. Um, so I, I want to frame this good news and everything that we think and everything that we do. Like Keith said in communion, that's our why, why we do all this. So we're going to come back to this concept. Specifically, I wanted to take some time and look at uh, how, did, how did Jesus live the gospel? If he is God, if he is love incarnate, and he comes down, manifests physically on earth, what does that look like? How does he make decisions? What's his attitude? Um, let's see him as the herald of good news, what does he do? What does he say? He says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. <clears throat> Somewhere else he says, um, this is my food, to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. And specifically in that context, he's talking about evangelism and making disciples, seeking the lost. And so I want to ask us, with Jesus' lifestyle and behavior, his priorities, was that for him alone? Or in us following him, is this something that we're supposed to inherit? The same priorities, the same attitudes? Does he expect that of us? So some scriptures that came to mind when I'm asking myself these questions. In Luke 13, Jesus tells a parable about Israel as a fig tree, and he keeps coming to the fig tree that he's planted expecting fruit, and there is none. You'll see this a lot in scripture where Jesus 
illustrates, he makes the example of us multiplying and reproducing ourselves spiritually by converting others as the same way that crops bear fruit. And so this will come up a lot, especially in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. So we see here, he's getting at something when he tells the Israelites this parable. I've been with you three years. I've been expecting something, and it's not being met. You're, you're not doing what I want in some capacity. In this context alone, it can seem kind of vague. I think we're all familiar with this one as well. John 15, the fruit and the vine. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Over and over again, bear fruit, bear fruit, bear fruit. This is how you bear fruit. I want you to bear fruit. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I thought of another example, the parable of the four soils. I think this is in three. It's in several Gospels. Um, My OCD kind of, I make tables and organize things, so I spent way too much time on something that wasn't necessary. But... The point is, he wants us to bear fruit. Categorically, only one in four of the examples does that. He also says that in the environment he's provided, there's predators, there's unfavorable conditions, and there's competition for limited resources. He doesn't say that that's terribly inconvenient, but there's nothing he can do to help. God created a dangerous, messy world and called it good. At one point, Jesus tells Simon, Hey man, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. That's a predator. And he doesn't say, I will never let him get to you. He tells Simon, basically, he's coming, and I'm okay with it. I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. So there's an expectation for us to bear fruit. There's things that make that difficult. It seems like that's not an excuse. Another place he says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. In other words, if you're not gathering people to me, with me, then you're not just not helping, you're actively hindering. You're actively hurting the cause. 
<clears throat> I thought a lot about um, last fall. We spent a lot of time in Isaiah 40. I think in October it was one of our verses of the week. Um, ben and I taught a midweek on it. We did a couple different things on it. I, I spent a lot of time. I love this passage. I, I really enjoyed it. One of the things that stood out to me a lot was in the first third of the chapter over and over again the the Isaiah is writing what God's telling him to say and it's kind of this expectation of Isaiah I don't just want to give you good things I have expectations of there's a job for you to do and he says over and over again Speak to my people. Give them a message. Say this. Do this. Proclaim. Be a voice of one calling. You are the mouth of the Lord. I have spoken. Now you go say it. This is just an Old Testament example of God expecting his people. He is delegating this role onto us of bearing fruit, of speaking truth and faith to one another. So that was verses 1 through 5. This is the same exact passage. He says again, cry out. Someone is telling him to speak. This is the very next section. Same chapter, same verses. How does he talk to Isaiah? He says, You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah. So there's an expectation for us to multiply, to speak, to bear fruit to be in each other's lives and to expand the kingdom. Not only is there an expectation, it's not extra credit. This expected behavior is not optional. He's actually displeased if we fail to do so. This is called the, the watchman passage in Ezekiel 33. He this is the most specific articulated example of God delegating this responsibility that I can find one of the most specific that I can think of. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways. That person will die for their sins and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways and they do not do so, they will die 
for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. So he splits up, he splits up evangelism into kind of three specific roles. There's our role, there's their role, and there's God's role. So no matter if you're on the receiving end or the giving end or, wait, that's the same thing. No, the, yeah, the giving end, the receiving end, you will have specific roles, either to act or to speak. That's helpful to me. I appreciate the boundaries of my job isn't to make them do something, but I've still got to say something. Similarly, if someone comes to me and says something, they're just doing their job from God, even if it's messy or not perfect. I need to hear what's being said, maybe not how it's said. There's a lot more of these. What convicts me with this list is the, the, the punishment. This is a, a list of scriptures of, of parables that Jesus gives. I've been in Luke a lot, so almost all these are in Luke. But what's convicting is that the, the punishment for unmet expectation, the punishment for failure, I don't want to believe that's God's character. Especially not to me. Maybe someone else, but not to me. I also find it kind of harsh, his evaluation of that failure. Like it's not sunshine and roses. Some of these, the person that didn't multiply their talents, Luke 19, the third bullet. The person that didn't bear fruit while the master was away, he comes back and says, you were wicked and lazy. Bring them here and slaughter them before me. (laughs) Only villains do that in movies, right? Luke 14, the one up. If you are unsalty salt, what are you good for? You're not good to be put on the ground in the dirt, and you're not even good to contribute to manure. Throw it away. Locked out and disowned. Anger, frustration. Cut them to pieces. People that say, well, wait, wait, we didn't, didn't we prophesy and do good miracles? We, we came and heard you, you preached in our streets. You didn't do what I asked you to do. I don't know you. This doesn't feel good. That's why I put ouch. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? This is not good parenting. To me, 
This is what I'm wrestling with. Is that this is a side of God that's holy, that has expectations. We love it when people get what they deserve unless we don't think it's right. God's the one that tells us what's right and what we should be doing. God expects his people to proclaim him. In 1 Peter, he says, You are a royal priesthood. I want you to proclaim my excellencies. He says the same thing in Exodus. You shall be a kingdom of priests. I would like to invite us to consider that the missionary lifestyle that Jesus led, that seeking and saving the lost to the extent that it is our food, that that is actually life to the full. That it's a lifestyle that you were made for. It's what you long for. It is what will make you happy, fulfilled, have purpose, have meaning. It's hard. It's not glamorous. Oops, I didn't mean to do that. Um... And I got to be honest, I'm not... I'm not very good at this. Like, if you looked at my life on paper, like the parable of the soils, he says, the good soil will produce, multiply 30, 60, even 100 fold. Now, maybe that's hyperbole. He's done it before. But maybe it's not. But if you looked at my life on paper, in terms of making disciples, I don't have much to show. Especially not the second half of my time in Christ. And like the, the managers that weren't very productive while the father, while the um, owner was away, I can make a lot of excuses. Oh, I had to do this, and I was busy with that. I was focusing on this. There were unfavorable conditions. There's predators. There's competition for my attention and time and energy. And according to the ouch page, what's God's response <laughs> to my excuses? He may not be as sympathetic as I would want him to be. 
So I, I want to make a distinction here. What I don't want is to excite a lot of nervous activity. I don't think God wants that either. And if we're having trouble doing the right things the right way for the right reasons, then I want to caution No, here's what no one wants. No one wants people to sell you things that they don't like and they don't believe in themselves. <laughs> and the number one problem that non-Christians have with Christians is hypocrisy. And that's sanctification, that's lifestyle, and a part of that is evangelism. We have a hard time really believing the good news. And we're caught up in a hundred million other things. And so to suddenly just start trying to pitch something and be persuasive, if it's not really coming naturally from a good place inside of you, then that can kind of be more harmful than helpful. What that doesn't mean is don't try, and I'm going to get more into that, But before we go into external behavior, I want to peel back some layers and look inside. And before I even look at this specific concept of evangelism, I want to even just zoom farther out and say that there's a lot of examples in Scripture where people were exposed to a truth about God's nature or God's expectation, like that God wants us to save people. And then there's realizing there might be a deficit here. I may not be doing that. I may not be meeting expectations. And then there's a response You can either be apathetic or you can be concerned. So is there a correct response to this? I want to look at some examples of what this might look like. One of my favorite examples of repentance in the Bible is in Jonah where the Christian doesn't really love God and doesn't really love people. He doesn't really want to do what he's supposed to. He kind of hopes the Ninevites get what he thinks they deserve. But it's interesting. So the king of Nineveh hears Jonah's preaching. He stood up, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. No food, no drink, 
Everyone's covered in sackcloth. Call on the name of God Almighty. Again, this might be kind of hyperbole. I don't know if this literally happened. <clears throat> Especially the part about like even our pets aren't going to eat and drink. Um, I also think this is kind of a gem of how far are you willing to go? And I'm not talking about evangelism. I'm talking about realizing something's wrong. If a man of God comes to you and says, hey, there's a deficiency, there's a discrepancy, there's unmet expectations, you're doing something wrong, something's off, and it may be really, really, really big deal. Are we going to have apathy? Are we going to make excuses? Are we going to be willing to put an urgent, hard stop and say, no activity, cancel the schedule, no eating or drinking? What's going on? God, what do you want? Is this from you? I think we looked at this for, on a midweek a few months ago. King Josiah finds the book of the law, realizes they haven't even known it existed, much less been doing it. He humbled himself before God when he heard, when he saw the deficiency. He tore his robes and wept. And God says, that's the right way. Because you are responsive and humbled yourself. I want to look at another familiar passage on the cost of discipleship, specifically in the context of bearing fruit. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. A few chapters before this, he says the same thing. And in verse um, 25, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. If I'm honest with myself, a big inhibition to me doing this is I'm, I care more about what strangers think than I do about pleasing my Lord. And I would rather not obey God than have people not like me. <clears throat> I want to uh, start a conversation. I've been wrestling over my entire adult life of what is my calling, what is my identity, what is my purpose? What should my job be? 
Some of the uh, big questions of purpose. Who was I created to be? What was I created to do? And where was I created to go? Be, do, go. What if our primary calling and purpose and identity is to be a disciple who makes disciples wherever you are? This is something we all need to wrestle with. Because what I find myself doing is delegating that to the professionals. I don't feel as, as equipped. I don't feel as trained. I don't feel as prepared or educated or, or maybe they're just more gifted. It's more natural to them. They have more experience. I would rather they did it than me. Realistically, Jesus intentionally chose the people that would get last picked on the team. They were unschooled and ordinary. I don't like that. I'd rather be prepared. I'd rather be trained. If I'm going to do this, I'd rather be a professional. I'd, I'd get more security from... Basically, me having a big army than God telling me to whittle down my army and go fight with like 300 people with pots and pans. <laughs> so how do we move from affirming a belief that God wants us to do these behaviors... Move it from the head down to the hands where we're actually doing them, where we're obedient. I propose through the heart. God's heart for the lost. When he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. A few verses later, when he goes to Jerusalem, looking at the city, he began to cry and said, I wish you knew what would bring you peace. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. So I think part of inheriting this role of seeking the lost is inheriting God's perspective of how he sees them. I think that can be some of the switch from going to extrinsic motivation. 
I'm doing this because I'm supposed to, and I don't want the negative reinforcement of punishment that follows, to when we see people the way God sees them, it's a lot easier. (laughs) Intrinsic motivation. When I see them as harassed and helpless, when my heart hurts for them, I don't think I've ever cried physical tears for someone being lost. That bothers me. And I have a choice to make looking at those passages in repentance. I can either be apathetic, unconcerned, I can maybe do stuff because I'm supposed to. Or the heart of repentance is eagerness, alarm, indignation, ready to see justice done. Hard stop. What's wrong? God, tell me what to do. Not just the behavior of obedience, but help me get there on the inside. So some practicals. I, I really like exercise. I don't always want to. It's normally not convenient. It's not fun. It doesn't always feel good. I'm not intrinsically motivated all the time. And there just needs to be a resolve. Being healthy, I can't just wait for emotion, for when I feel like it, for when all the stars of convenience align. I'm not going to be consistent. I'm not going to make progress. I'm going to be tossed back and forth like waves of poor diet, poor sleep, Poor activity and lifestyle. I'm going to be sedentary, have bad posture. I've got to be intentional and disciplined, even when intrinsic motivation isn't there. I have to make a decision. So I'm saying this to complete, to kind of supplement what I just said about the intrinsic motivation. Real life, it's not always going to be there. I would love if desire always trumped duty to do something. But in relationships, in anything, that's just, you tell me when you find it. (laughs) I haven't found it. If I want to be a good husband, if I want to be healthy, anything that I need to do that takes maturity and consistency and being dependable... I can't rely always on emotion for the intrinsic motivation. It's really convenient when it's there. But it can't be my, like, compass. So... 
So this scripture is, um, this, this is not good exegesis. This is not about making disciples. Jesus is talking to religious people who are rotten on the inside and look good on the outside. And I'm not saying that's what's going on here. But I think it's kind of interesting. I feel like there is an overlap in the context of what we're talking about, about making disciples. In the, tr- when the, in the same illustration of a tree bearing fruit and reproducing, he says either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. And I feel like with God's expectation of us making disciples, I would much rather just keep a lifestyle of being fairly clean and go through a lot of religious activity, which is what my report card has shown my life the past 12 years. I've attended a lot more religious services and gone through a lot more religious activity, which are good things. But I've done a lot more of that than I have make disciples. And I can't help but feel like sometimes God is saying, Patrick, either make the tree good and bear fruit, or like like you're missing the point. Stop (laughs) just being religious and clean on the outside if you're going to really just be selfish and not care about anyone else lost. Does that make sense? First Samuel, kind of the same concept. Again, this is not about, this scripture is not about making disciples, but at the time the expectation was to do the law, obey. And so people were kind of going through those external motions and completely missing the point. And they didn't really love God. They didn't really love people. This is kind of the Old Testament equivalent of that. Don't go through the motions of religion and disregard my commands. The law was literally the law, like you were saved by obeying the letter of the law in their minds. That was their belief. And God is like, I would rather... You obey the heart of what I'm telling you to do, loving me and loving people and being a voice to the neighbors, then neglecting that, but still like making all your sacrifices and burning incense and coming to the temple and doing everything I told you to do. So a a few quick practicals. I'm taking forever. This is not short. Recruiting supernatural help. Paul said, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the gospel as I should. I have that on a note card in my car. I don't know how well I'm doing it, but it's a start. (laughs) Deciding to be willing. Lord, here am I. Send me. Is that your attitude when you go into the day? This is my favorite verse in First Patrick 1. I just made that up. 
but just go. <laughs> that's, the, that's the King James Patrick version. So earlier I said, put some thought into this. When you see there's a deficit of you're not doing the right thing, maybe don't just jump into doing it. I said that earlier. Now I'm saying go for it. With all those other things in mind, obey. Just try. In John 4, the, the, this is the passage when Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He's on a road trip. He's walking on this road trip. At the end of the day, they stop at a watering hole. The disciples go and get food. He starts up a conversation and crosses every conventional line of diplomacy you can imagine and is like both very blunt and kind of harsh and also like super gracious in his conversation with this woman and it's like masterful IQ, EQ, everything and at the end of that conversation Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking. No one asked, what are you doing and why are you doing it? Then leaving her water jar, she went and she said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. I can just hear the frustration in his voice. (laughs) I've got food. And you have no idea. (laughs) Being teenagers, (laughs) they're confused. Did someone bring him food? (laughs) He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So the religious people on an unpaid internship with Jesus on earth, at the end of their road trip, being missionaries, are confused about why Jesus is doing evangelism. I find that painfully ironic and probably more than a little applicable. If I were the disciples, I could think of a very long list of reasons to not do what he did, when he did it, the way he did it, and why he did it. And I'm I'm trying really hard to get to a place where whether or not it's convenient, whether or not I want it or like it or whatever, I'm like, this is the most urgent thing in my life. (laughs) Make disciples. 
It comes before I eat. It comes before I sleep. Anything else can be rearranged around this. We're almost done. So he sends out the 12. So this is roughly a year into his ministry. <clears throat> he's basically just put his team together. And he sends them out. Now this is cool. He gives them authority over demons and curing diseases. I don't know if we have that. I'm not going to get into miraculous gifts. I'm open and willing to have those things. I've never, I've never, you know, um, anyways, that's not the point. The point is he sends out the amateurs to go be local missionaries. That's their training. And it's not a very controlled environment. I don't know how long they spent with him before he sent them out. And I don't know how long he sent them out for. It could have been a weekend. It could have been months. But it's pretty intense. Take nothing. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Not even two jackets. Whatever house you enter, that's your headquarters. Stay there. That's where you're going to operate out of. He kind of throws them in the deep end here. A lot earlier on than I would want to be thrown in or tell other people it's wise to do that. But this is Jesus's. I think it's God trying to get us to not trust in ourselves and our own strength and our own wisdom and just obey. So here's the external part of this. That's just obedience and resolve not waiting for, you know, you to just somehow become Jesus and like float around and cure things. And like Jesus says, just go. I'm sending you out. The woman, ironically, John 4, she's not on the internship and she's the only one here doing it. She went and opened her mouth. Another, just one chapter later, that was Luke 9. This is Luke 10. Jesus sends out 72, and it's the exact same thing. They've been less trained. They've spent less time with him. They're newer to all of this. He sent them out ahead of him, two by two, to every town and every place, and said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his fields. Go your way. I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. The laborer deserves his wages. So this, this is the example of what it means to follow Jesus. I've been wrestling with this. I don't, I don't want to do this. 
And there's people in here who do a phenomenal job at caring about lost people and seeking them a lot better than me. As a whole, in the 12 years that I've been in Clemson Foothills Church, I don't think many of us can say that. And we've got a choice. We can ask ourselves, do I really believe that God expects this of me? And what am I going to do about it? Are we going to keep delegating it to the professionals? Just be clean on the outside, go through the motions. I'm really disappointed in my own report card of on paper, how much fruit have I borne externally? I don't have much to show for this. And that, I'm, I feel like I'm just now getting to a point where that actually makes me sad. And I feel like I should change. I hope this doesn't come off as like harsh. I just don't, I don't want to be religious. <laughs> like, I either want to be all in or all out, you know? And no one's happy with one foot in and one foot out. And so what my prayer has been for me and for all of us is to just be intentional to do what matters not because we have to like earn our salvation or somehow like we make God obligated to give us good things because we've done good things but because of the gospel because of what we talked about in the beginning because of the deep wells of mercy and grace and love of why we do what we do I think this is part of becoming like Jesus, being transformed into him, is inheriting his purpose, his perspective, his desires to love and save people. So I hope this helps. This has been my, this is what I've been wrestling with the past eight months (laughs) since I left grad school. Uh, Ask me about it. Hold me accountable. (laughs) Help me. Pray with me. I'd love to go through this with y'all.